encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. You know, whenever that Sunday morning I went to the urgent care, I was going because in case it wasn't COVID, they could give me something. So I was like, look, if this isn't COVID, I need the Brittany needs to sing tonight kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the Andrew needs to preach in an hour kind of stuff. You, you with me? <laughs> yeah. I heard. Well, actually, the Sunday Hillary preached wasn't even the Sunday I got sick. That was another Sunday. Oh, oh yeah, we went in with. No, that was the Sunday that Jeff came down with COVID. Now, who? Now, who is he? Who is Jeff? And for the first, I talked to a fellow named Stanley Ship. Yeah, which is shutting down now. They're shutting down yeah. in the spring. Yeah, I heard. Or early summer, May, I think they said. Into the spring semester. They won't start a new school year. Yeah. Grad school. Sad. Hillary, what are you doing in here? Oh. Oh, great. I'm glad you're here. I just didn't know your class was not meeting until Oh, dear. Well, I'm nervous now. Belay that. Belay that, okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get started. It's a casual 9.30 as always. We're back to Mark. Mark, Mark's gospel. Uh, We're in chapter 6. We're making progress. We're going to start in chapter 6 today. As Marcus, yes. That'd be his Greek name. Marcus, yeah. Chapter 6, we're making progress. I mean, what, I've been here since January, and it's December, and we made it through Chapter 6 at that rate. Let's see, we'd be in Chapter 3. We'd be in Chapter 12. No, 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 we'd be in Chapter 12 by December of next year, then. And then there's only 16 chapters, so... Finish by August of the next year. Finish by August of 24. We took a few days. 14 weeks of the... We did. The... Of Psalms. Of Psalms? Oh, no, no, that, but that wasn't, uh, but I wasn't, uh, that was the sermons. That wasn't the Bible class, though. I just, hey, anytime I just need an extra sermon, we're always popping it in for Mark. That's right, the communication class, that's what we had. So, all right, well, uh, I'm glad Hillary's here this morning. Um, Hillary, will you, uh, will you start us in prayer? While I go pause this music that's playing in the background? Pray with me, please. Father, we come to you this morning. And we come to you wanting to learn from you. And we ask, Father, that you open our hearts, open our minds, and help us to understand what you have given for us to learn. We ask, Father, that you would be with those that are not with us this morning, that whatever impediment is in their way, that you would remove it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so I'm not using PowerPoint because I'm tired of making PowerPoints because I feel like I end up reading them. And I'm sure that you just want all that brilliant information that is just 
so <laughs> wonderful and brilliant and insightful. But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm just going to, um, I'll continue to study basically the same way I have, but we'll just uh, use the word and just proceed that way. So what a novel concept. A little more organic. See what happens. No, uh, this was my, this was my attempt. And if there's a revolt, then I'll, you know, then I'll revert. So, yeah. Um, so I want to read in Mark chapter six today. I want to read the first 13 verses. Um, so I'm going to read it and then we'll, we'll dive in. He left that place and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. Susie, good morning. Um, Lost my place. I was saying hi to Susie. Oh, they said, uh, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own household. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. And if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Uh, does your Bible have those lovely, beautiful headings? Did it Did it put one in front of verse 7? So like splitting 1 through 6 and 7 through? Yeah. I think those two go together really well, though. Um, in what ways might those two passages go together? Jesus being rejected in Nazareth and him sending out the 12. Well, he was rejected by his family, basically, in the first part. And then he's warning them, you're going to be rejected. Yeah. Yeah, he won't ask them to do anything he's not willing to do himself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Any any other connections that would tie these two together? Anything else you notice? Well, he just he just said you're not going to be accepted in your own country, so I'm going to send you to a different country. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, Warren. Uh, you know where it says that uh, he uh, couldn't do many miracles or whatever there uh, I've always taken that to mean that the reason was people just didn't come to him mm. the ones that did he healed mm. but there weren't many who came it wasn't his lack of power it was right. just their lack of presenting themselves for, mm. not for unbelief or being convinced by neighbors and friends all this is just a neighbor boy oh Jesus I changed his diaper he ain't gonna heal me yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. Every time I read this passage about a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown, I'm always like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, it's hard to like do ministry in a place where you grew up in that church because often it's like, well, they never see you as the person you've grown into. It's always a little, 
little Jesus. I changed your diet. I wiped your butt, boy. Don't go and tell me how to obey the truth. Um, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. It's profound, really. Um, absolutely. Well, um, what place did he leave? It's been a while since we've uh, done this, but the very first part of chapter 6, he left that place. What place is he leaving? It's been a while since we've um, been in Mark, at least a month or more. So where was he that he's leaving? Capernaum? No, because he just came to Nazareth. I think it's the... Isn't this the... uh, No, maybe it's not Capernaum. Well, see, very beginning of chapter 5, he's in the the Gerasenes. Goes back across the lake. lake, So just somewhere in Galilee. An an unspecified place in Galilee. I don't know. Somewhere in and about and around Galilee, but... But whenever he leaves, wherever he was, point is, he was leaving the stuff with the um, Jairus' daughter and the healing of the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years, all of that. That's what just happened right before this. So he left wherever they are, and now he came home to Nazareth. Um, he didn't want to give a bad name, so he didn't mention the place. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess so. <laughs> Um, although he does, so it's interesting, on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, so he does get to teach in the synagogue. Um, yeah, I mean, would someone have been okay with that? Would he have to go to the I would think. and say, you know, can I talk today? Or? I would think. I, I imagine. He definitely, he's definitely authorized because he's the one who does the reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, the, so if they didn't know he was coming home, like, I picture it like whenever um, I used to come, like, Back home, whenever college kids would come home for the weekend, they'd be like, oh, Sean's in town. You want to lead singing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, church Christ are so informal. We don't have like a formal liturgy where it's like, well, so-and-so is appointed for the reading today, you know. But um, I, I picture it similar to that. Like, oh, Jesus is home for the weekend. Hey, Jesus, why don't you teach kind of thing. Um, home for the weekend, yeah. I don't know how long he's home. Uh, and then I love, where did this man get all this? This man, they know him. As they elaborate, they obviously know him, but they begin by calling him this man. Where did this man get? Like that's a that's a detaching. Who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he? Yeah, uh, Rosemary, what's the message say? How did he get so wise all of a sudden? Get such yeah. ability? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Where did he get all this wisdom? You can hear the um, it's a it's a distancing thing. Who's that? Who's that carpenter's son? Yeah. And, and I find the carpenter's son statement interesting. It's like, it's kind of like if, um, this is terrible and I really don't feel this way, but like to just think of an analogy, it'd be like if I were like trying to have a highbrow Bible scholar discussion and like somebody who's like a, a trade worker comes in and starts telling me something, I'd be like, oh, listen, don't confuse your Google search with my divinity degree. You know, like that kind of mentality. I feel like there's some of that, right? Like, well, Jesus, you didn't go to rabbinical school. You just don't understand. Um, we want to hear from the real rabbis kind of thing. Or I don't maybe, know. Uh, which school did they go to? Yeah. You know, yeah, well, I went to. Uh, I've been rewatching Frasier, the TV show Frasier. I love him. And every five seconds he says, well, I went to Harvard Medical School. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Frasier Crane. That's what I picture. Name yeah, dropper. name dropper. Yeah. Well, I went to uh, sh- uh, what are the what are the Shemai and 
Who are the rabbis that everybody right. studies under? Oh, uh, who, who did, uh, Gamaliel Hill, was the one that Paul G- Gamaliel and Shemai and Hillel. 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 Shemai. Yes. Two, like, well, I studied under Hillel. I studied under Shemai. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Who's this carpenter's son? I mean, Jesus, go back to the wood shop. Leave it alone. Right? Like, that's kind of what you're, the, the tone I'm hearing in that. It's wild because you can't think that they, they have to have known that Jesus, like, Jesus wasn't an idiot as a child. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew this kid. Yeah. Like, why are they, like. Clearly, stories are circulating about the whole, you know, he stayed in Jerusalem and taught the teachers and asked great questions. Yeah. Absolutely. Is not this the carpenter's son, the, the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And I'm sad that his sisters are not named. I would love to know the names of the sisters of Jesus. Well, I know a few of the sisters of Jesus. I'm looking at several of them right now. But uh, who, Did somebody raise their hand? Oh, Orin. I've always This scripture's always kind of been, I guess, important to me because it so distinctly points out how much family he had. Yes, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Has he already, have we already read the passage where they're waiting outside for him? And he's like, ugh, who is my family? These are my brothers and my sisters. Yeah, it was back in chapter three where he's like, um, the people are like, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he's like, well, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. But then now here they are. Again, I love that they took offense at him. Um, they're offended at his teaching. I don't imagine that he was saying anything so... I mean, Jesus did say things that were obviously very provocative and that were, were offensive um, because he's a good teacher and good teachers are often offensive and provocative. But I, it, it strikes me that the, the offense is not necessarily that he's like being offensive in his teaching. They take offense at him being the one teaching. And so it's like he could have been teaching like, you know, well, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. For God to love the world that gave his only beloved son. Amen. The end. And they'd be like, oh, who's this guy think he is to be teaching us? You know, it's like he could teach the most generic, uncontroversial lesson. And they still would have been like, oh, goodness. They're recognizing that he's teaching from wisdom. Mm-hmm. But they reject the wisdom because they reject. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, to me, it seems like they're kind of a, puts them on the defense. It says they tripped over what little they knew about him. Mm. So I like that. Like they're, huh, you know, because I guess it's been a long span of time where they really haven't been around him and didn't know what all he was doing. And so they were like, and that's why they were so surprised that he was speaking with such authority and ability because they had not been around him for a while and didn't mm. know that he'd come into his own. Mm. I don't mm. know. I mean, um, Galilee's not a huge place. They probably heard the rumors. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. it's almost like, well, let's size this up for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is home for the weekend. Oh, go ahead and teach. Uh, I'm not that impressed. Yeah. But it's like he could have preached like, you know, like a Max Licato lesson, and they would have been like, it's two out of ten. You know, yeah. like they, they wouldn't have been giving him great rankings no matter what. Yeah. You know what, what immediately strikes me about this is they're offended, I think, by the, the humanity of Jesus, really, ultimately. Like, this guy's this great teacher. I wiped his butt. I mean, we have historically always been tempted to divorce Jesus 
from his humanity to say, well, he's Lord, of course, but I mean, he, was, he just kind of looked human. But he was like really human. Like he really did go through puberty, right? Like he really did um, uh, have sleepless nights as a baby and uh, keep Mary on her toes. Um, he really did have siblings who I'm sure had some disagreements at times. Oh, come on I know it's it's unlikely. It's unlikely, but is, hear me out. Uh, yeah, uh, Jesus is, his humanity is it's offensive, isn't it? It's kind of scandalous, like to think that true God of true God, the Word made flesh, would truly be flesh in the full sense and and eat and sleep and poop and do all the things that humans do. Like it's offensive. I mean, how much more so for the very people that raised him in that village that saw little boy Jesus and that now are seeing him as the full grown man who is just a carpenter who is just a carpenter well he is a carpenter but he's not just a carpenter that's the that's the problem right they assume that if he is a carpenter then he is just a carpenter but they've got the equation wrong just because he's a carpenter doesn't mean he's just a carpenter he's he is a carpenter and and if we diminish that we lose something of the fullness of who christ is right um we're always tempted to divorce those two there are people today who still try to divorce um the humanness of Jesus. But he was very human. Tempted in every way, just like we are. It's what Hebrew says. Every way. It's crazy. Well, and, you know, him growing up, even Mary didn't seem to always give him yeah. the, his place, you know, his, his honor. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, Megan's going off to medical school, but I'm not sure I would want her working on me because I didn't know her as being the little kid. I love that. Silly, goofy things all the time. And I'm like, I love that. Okay, I, you know, or, uh, it's a perfect analogy. Yeah, so I can see where uh, the local people. Local I can see you going to see her in the office. Like, I don't know if she wants to work in a hospital or a doctor's yeah, office. But, but I can see you going in and, and you'd be like, well, have you taken my blood pressure correctly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Linda. Yeah. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. And and imagine him being the great physician, not just a physician. How much more so would you be offended at the idea that I changed your diapers? What you doing? Yeah. I it's the humanity of Jesus is it's beautiful, but it's also really tough. Like it it's it's real. It's it's raw and gritty and it's it's real. Yeah. Yeah. They they do seem to I mean his whole family it seems to kinda like I think he's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we know James wrote we think James wrote James. What about the other brothers? Jude. Jude, yeah. Jude wrote Jude. Joseph was named after Joseph? Perhaps, yeah. We don't know. That's what I'm saying. I wish I knew the names of the sisters of Jesus. But there are some like early like traditions that float around and stuff, but it's it's not, it wasn't accepted, so it's like not really, there's no good reason to accept some of the things that we have about all these extra characters around like the brothers of Jesus and stuff. I wish we had more. 
And I have questions. I have a list. And I will promptly march to the throne and say, Lord, I have questions. Yes. Andrew, if you do that, I promise I'll grab your collar and I'll let you do that. What'd you say? So if you do that, I promise I'll grab your collar and Thank I'll you. let you do that. Thank you. No, I'm sure that once I get there, that will be the least of my concerns. Right? These are not yeah. top-level questions. Absolutely. Um, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown. Jesus calls himself a prophet by implication. And Jesus is a prophet. Um, he's the greatest of all the prophets that have ever lived. He is a prophet. Um, not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Um, Even he, in Islam, is, he accepted as a prophet. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the one, one title they give him. They won't accept the rest right. as a prophet. Yeah, there's passages in the Quran that make fun of Christians for thinking he's God. Like, how stupid. Yeah, again, how stupid. This carpenter, he was a prophet. He taught some good stuff. He's not God. A little far. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the Orthodox Jews still. Yeah. Still to this day. Yeah. He's a prophet. He's the greatest of prophets. Some of them would hold him as a prophet. Some wouldn't. But, yeah. Because there were a lot of fake messiahs at this time. Like, there were tons before Jesus, tons after Jesus. Tons of messiahs. There was a script, right? Like, you gather a following, and then you go out into the wilderness, and you start your movement, and then the Romans find out, and they squash you and kill you, and all your followers run away. Except for one. Yeah. He could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he's amazed at their unbelief. Has he already been amazed at the belief of the centurion? Have we already read about the centurion? Or is that later on? I can't remember. I think we might have. Oh, that is. Yes. Jairus. Is Jairus a centurion? Is he? I don't, I, probably. I feel like he's been amazed at somebody's belief thus far, and now he's amazed at unbelief. But I can't remember whose belief he was amazed at. He's been amazed at somebody's belief. I don't know. And if he hasn't already, then he will be. But this is the contrast. He's amazed at their unbelief. Um, or maybe it's the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who Jesus calls her a dog. And then he, what did you say? The woman that was bleeding? Okay. I think it's the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, I mean, she had faith, but like, I'm looking for the comment in the text, like, like he was amazed at her faith. No, I don't think it's the Syrophoenician woman either. I don't know. I feel like it's there somewhere. I don't know. Maybe I'm making this up. Yeah, I wanna... Uh, one thing looking at this verse 3, you did know that there were more than one sister. Yeah, sisters. There was at least two. Yeah. So there were at least seven kids, no, six kids. Yeah. No, seven. Uh, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, at least two sisters, a six, Jesus, seven. Yeah. So at least seven kids. kids. Yeah. It's a good number. It's a good Bible number. I hadn't thought about that. Here with us. Anyway, he's amazed at their unbelief. Um, I would rather have Jesus amazed at my belief than my unbelief. Um, I wonder, to spiritualize this a little bit, I wonder sometimes if we are hesitant to bring our stuff to Jesus. Like, that sounds cheesy, but 
you know, in church we're always saying, oh, Lord, be with the poor, sick, and those in the hospital. But it's another thing to go and present yourself radically before him and say, I need this. And if you don't do this, I'm down and out. It's another thing for me to go and present myself before Jesus in complete surrender. Um, I don't know. Selfless. Selfless. We're constantly reminded to be selfless so we don't, you know, reach out in that way maybe as much as we should. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's read about the 12. Let's move on to the 12 here. Then he went about among the villages teaching... And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He never sends them out alone. I always find that interesting. At least groups of two. Got to have a pair. Got to have a team. It's not good for man to be alone, even in evangelism. Um, Also, I looked up that phrase two by two just to see if it shows up anywhere else. And it's the same word used. It's the same like little phrase used in the Old Testament whenever Noah put the animals on the ark two by two. And I was like, I don't know what to make of that, but that's just interesting. It's the only other place that's found two by two, two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Okay. I want somebody to look up the same passage in Matthew and Luke. I can give you the reference here. Let's see. Uh, Matthew 10 and Luke 9 is where the parallels are found. Somebody look up the Matthew one and somebody look up the Luke one. You got Matthew? Yeah, which, which verse are you looking for? Uh, the one about what they take on their journey, what they do and don't take on their journey. It's in Matthew 10. The other one's in Luke 9, very beginning of the chapter. Um, because the lists are a little different. In the different gospels. Don't take a backpack for the road, or two shirts, or sandals, or walking or a walking stick. So he says, don't take a walking stick. Don't take a yeah, staff. Workers deserve to be fed, so don't gather gold or silver or copper coins for your money belts to take on your trip. Okay, so here he says, take nothing for your journey except a staff. You can take a staff. Matthew says you can't take a staff. What does Luke say? Does anybody take nothing up? for your journey. No staff. No bag. No staff. No, bread, no bag. No money. And do not have two tunics. Yes. Whatever house you enter, stay there from them. Stay there. Um, also, how many people did he send out in those passages? It's, uh, Is it the 12? It's still the 12? He said he called the 12 together. Because he also sends out um, a larger group of disciples at one point. Yeah, it's 72. 70 in one, in one place and 72 in another place. Yeah. Um, and it's, they have some similar instructions there as well, but I can't remember what those instructions are. And I don't know where that reference is. What's the significance of carrying a staff? It's a great question. I think it says don't carry a staff. Where? In Mark? In Matthew. Oh, Matthew says don't take one. Luke says don't take one. Mark says take one. Okay. Mark says uh, don't take anything except take a staff. Um, but then Matthew and Luke say, no, don't even take a staff. A minor detail, right? But says, don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. It doesn't even mention the word staff. I like that. 
Don't think you need a bunch of extra equipment. You are the equipment. I like that. I love Peters. So the, the two tunics. Yeah. A change of clothes, or is that a another layer of clothing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, we're so used to wearing tunics. I am, yes. right? <laughs> David only wears one tunic. Okay, glad to clarify that, everybody. <laughs> well, it's difficult to translate in English without giving different impressions, right? So the word is like the. So it's like this long undergarment that's worn close to the skin. But if you translate it undergarment, everybody hears underwear. And it's not really underwear. It's more like a, it's kind of like a gown sort of thing that you wear under your, yeah, it's, a, it's an undershirt. It's, that's the closest comparison. Like whenever men will wear a white undershirt with their, their dress shirt, it's more like that, but it's longer. So it's more like long johns, sort of. Yeah, yeah, to absorb sweat and stuff. Um, but sometimes you would wear two because in case you got cold at night kind of thing. Yeah. Those things taken care of. Yeah. You just go and do what I'm asking. Yes. To me, it's like that's the honor that the prophet is due, but is not given in the hometown. Like, yeah, you should be provided for, taken care of. And also, it's in, to me, it's significant. He says, whenever you get to a house, stay there and don't go to another one. In other words, like, yes, you should have some of your needs provided for, but also, like, don't milk it for all it's worth, right? Don't be like, well, you know. The Waldrons have a really nice guest room, so I'm going to stay there. But then the Dittons make a real nice steak dinner, so I'm going to go to their house for dinner. You know, it's, he's like, don't, you know, don't, don't milk this. Like, the worker deserves his wages, of course, but like, don't. Because um, philosophers at this time had a reputation of doing that, traveling around teaching and then just trying to take as much as they could because I'm a great teacher. I deserve to be very well taken care of. And, and so he's... Why they were set two by two. Certainly, Yeah. <laughs> Sure, that's that's great. So also to keep each other in check, certainly. I think more than keeping each other in check, also to keep the morale up, right? I mean, because he, he doesn't say if you get rejected. He's like, when you get rejected. That seems to be the tone, right? So it's like, when you're rejected, shake the dust off your feet. Because if it was up to me, I'd do more than shake the dust off my feet. I'd be shaking my fist too. But he says, no, I need somebody to calm me down. Bartholomew, chill. It'll be fine. Relax. Yeah. Uh, on the coat, I did want to say it's the same word for Joseph's coat of many colors and the priestly tunic. Same word. So, I don't know. I love little details, of course. So, um, yeah. It's probably just idiomatic. Like, don't take an extra. Like, uh, uh, don't take an extra coat if you don't have to. Yeah. I thought you were pointing. You were pointing? Well, I was just going to say <clears throat> Probably that back then, when guests came to your home, mm-hmm. you provided those. Yes. That, that was just part of your hospitality. Yes. Oh, yeah. The culture that uh, uh, whatever, uh, and, and we wouldn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes prepared. Yes. But then the travelers. Uh, they had to rely on hospitality. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they don't have holi- Jerusalem Holiday Inn Express, right? Like, and they walked. Yeah. You know, and so it was hard for them to carry uh, yes. all these extra supplies. Yeah, they couldn't just to- toss it in the trunk of their camel if they had a camel. So right? They're walking. Bag, 
Yeah. yeah. What did you say? On their backs? No roller bags. <laughs> yeah, no roller bags. And they didn't have like those, you know, like, um, like hitchhikers have those gigantic backpacks, like the hiking backpacks. You know, they probably didn't have those. Uh, bread is kind of, bread is just a word for food, right? Like it, it means bread, but it's also like, give me today my daily bread. Give me my food. You know, it's, it's a idiom. So in other words, don't take provisions. Uh, we always bring snacks for our road trips. You know, don't pack any snacks for the road trip. Bucky's will provide. You know, too, I think sending them out like that was saying you will be provided for. God yes. never fails to fund his projects. Yeah. If he sends out, sends bukus of whatever in is need for us, we're provided with the means to do it. Yeah, could you say that again? I didn't quite get yeah. uh, <laughs> When we get opportunities to do what seems like even too big of things for us, yes. God, God will provide the funds or the means yes. to do it if we'll look for them. Yes. See them. I was just talking with Joshua Hickman on Friday about this, and he said, it's not that we don't need to ever worry about money. He's like, there are certainly churches that don't worry enough about, like, you know, being good stewards of the finances that God has given. But it's a matter also of saying our first question should not always be, well, what about the money? How are we going to pay for it? That tends to be our first question because of our Western viewpoint. He said the first question should be, how are we going to obey this? And how might God provide? Maybe stretch our imaginations. Maybe there's another way to do it than the way we conceived of it. And so maybe the bigger question is, how are we going to obey the calling that he's brought us to? Maybe, maybe it's not even something that had to be paid for. It's something else entirely done in a different way. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And God always provides for his prophets one way or another. Really, absolutely. Pay a lot. Yeah. In that text message that you and I were a part of. Yeah. Didn't he say that in the text yeah. message? And he said, ah, it'll work out. We'll find them. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's faith. Um, whenever you enter a house, stay there till you leave that place. Again, stay in one place. Don't move around. If any place um, will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Um, that's interesting. Uh, they actually do this a couple times in Acts. I didn't realize this until I was studying this. They shake the dust off their feet at the town in Acts. I didn't know this. It's, uh, let's see. Well, it shows up in Luke one time as well. Luke 10, something happens with that. I wrote it down. I don't remember what happens in Luke. Let's see. Luke 10, 11. Oh, it's the same. Oh, it's whenever he sends out the 70. He makes a similar comment. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. But in Acts, they actually do it a couple times. Um, I didn't know that. I found that interesting. I have an example of it. Uh, Acts 13. What did you say? I think it was Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas? Let's see if Hillary's up on his Bible trivia. It's Paul and Barnabas. Ha ha. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's uh, Acts 13.51 is the first one. It's Paul and Barnabas, and they are in... Somewhere. Antioch, maybe? Antioch of Pisidia? Yes. And they, let's see. The Jews incite the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region. So they shook the dust off their feet and protest against them and went on to Iconium. 
and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And then it also happens in chapter 18 in Corinth, apparently. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust off from his clothes, not just his feet. Okay. And he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Oh, I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that they actually had examples of that in Acts. Yeah. Like, if that happens, that, <laughs> that was kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, the disciples have like a very different attitude. Yeah. I always yeah. think of the one where they get whipped and they go out rejoicing. Yeah. Like we read something we don't like on Facebook and think we're persecuted. Yeah. Right, you know. Different, different mentality. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if that counted? <laughs> it's like we went to God and he's like, yeah, all those things on Facebook when people were like vaguely rude about Christianity. Like that counted. That's good. <laughs> you know, so awesome, but you should have you should have been excited. Like, so, yeah. So much free credit. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of truth to the idea that unless you get some opposition, you're not doing something right, right? Like, unless you get some some pushback, you're not doing something right. Like, that's a leadership principle too, right? Like, unless you get some pushback, you're probably not doing something. You're probably not being challenging enough. You're probably not being uh, leading forward enough. Yes. Yes. For the next one. Yes. Because I mean, over and over again, we hear, you know, God is waiting for everyone to come to Him, and everybody's going to come at a different time. Yes. And so it's just not that person's time right now. Just go on to the next person, and they yes. their time. Yes. So don't get in a huff about it, or you know, yes. put a chip on your shoulder about it. Just carry on. I love that. That could we need a we need a Rosemary's message because I feel like if Rosemary had a message, that's what that section would say. Don't get in a huff about it and have a chip on your shoulder. Shake it off and keep going. I think that's close to what you said. I liked it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Carry on. That's what she said. Carry on. Keep calm and carry on is what we would say. Oh, I love it. Um, I also wanted to say, so this, this thing about like shaking the dust off your feet or off your clothes or whatever. Think about it this way too. It's a prophetic sign act right? It's prophetic. So you remember the prophets. We always like assume prophets are always telling the future all the time. They do so much more than tell the future. Like it's less than a few percent of what the prophets do is tell the future. A lot of what they do is preach about the present and do uh, strange things. Remember Ezekiel? I love Ezekiel because he does all sorts of weird things, right? I mean, you, uh, I've said this before in Bible classes with teenagers and they're like, I'm gonna go home and read Ezekiel. Cause, it, Cause he like, like he does these weird things. He like binds himself with a rope and then just sits out in the city square and he's like yelling like, this is what's going to happen to you in exile. And uh, he, God tells him at one point to eat a book, a scroll, and he eats it and then he's like, oh, that kind of hurt my stomach. I have some indigestion. <laughs> and then like another time he builds like this little model city and then is like playing with it, acting like acting out the destruction of Jerusalem and people are like walking through town going, what are you doing? And just watching him play with toys, basically. I love it. I just imagine him like building a Lego fort and then acting out, you know, the destruction of Jerusalem. He cooks with poop at one point and then eats it. He takes it. Isaiah walks around naked for three years. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. He clarifies. Does it have to be my own poop? And he says, no, it's, it's fine. It's not really a clarification. He has to petition for he a change. Petitions for, fair. Yeah. He petitions for a change. God, God is a merciful God. God you do not have to God. eat your own poop, Ezekiel. Yes, uh, Isaiah walks around naked for three years to prove a point. 
Can you imagine just walking down the street in Isaiah and being like, oh my goodness. Yo, yes, they call him the streak. Yeah, and he's walking down the street. And then it's like, this is what's going to happen in exile. <laughs> Boom. I, I, I mean, I, I just love that prophetic imagination. Right. Or like Hosea. Hey, go marry a prostitute. And then be faithful to her whenever she's not faithful to you. Have fun. What? Jonah and all of his, I mean, being swallowed by a whale. It's, it's also, it's not just, it's not just um, a physical act. It's, it's symbolic also, right? Like all of this is symbolic. I mean, talk about a, a, a blow to your ego being vomited up on dry ground. That's got to help him motivate to go back to Nineveh. It would motivate me pretty quick. Imagine All these walked back into the sea and washed off. A I would <laughs> fair, fair. I'm sure he did. Just take a little, little bath. Yes, I, I love the I love the prophetic way of thinking, and, and and this is part of that prophetic way of thinking also, because a lot of what they did is it's like the prophets had no shame, like you had to have no shame to walk around naked for three years or cook with poop or marry a prostitute and and just let it be the town gossip. But but but. And then whenever people would say something, to me, the way it reads, it seems like they then use that as an opportunity to preach good news and say, oh, yeah, well, this is what that means. And so, you know, the, the shaking off of the dust of your feet, um, to me, it's like a, it is like a prophetic act, right? You know, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. He's sending them out as prophets. And so they're doing a prophetic act, and, and that certainly helps bolster their, their, um, their um, what's the word I'm looking for? It certainly helps keep them motivated. That's the right word. And also, I think even, even more, it also, um, it's a sign calling to repentance, right? Like if you just kind of like keep it to yourself and say nothing and go, well, that stunk, okay, and go forward, there's no like definitive moment by which to say, by, by which to then repent, which is often what God's judgments are in scripture. They're not really like God is just in the mood to be a big bad bully they're a, I'm going to send you into exile. And I hope that by me saying that, I don't have to. Right? Well, I shake off my dust as a testimony against you. Hoping that then you see that and go, oh, no, we hate that. And then repent. Right? It's always a provocative, it's, it's evoking a response, hopefully, I think is, is also part of, part of that. You mentioned sign act, and I took the class for the Whoa, I mentioned what? Sign act. Synact, Synact. I thought you said Synact, like Sinai, and I was like, I have no idea. Okay, sorry. Sign that's an act. It is. It's my bad. Sign, and the Bible's full of that. Yes. You know, even if it's just things that happen, that like the communion when. Oh yeah. When he breaks the bread, that was the teacher that I was under was saying we've lost that sign in our service because. He would have taken the bread and, and broken it, yeah. and that would have just the action would have meant something. Um, and uh, you know, yes. Jesus entering Jerusalem is on a donkey. Yes. This, uh, he could have said, "Go to this place. There's a gigantic, beautiful golden chariot. Bring it to me. I'm going to come in." He said, "No, there's a donkey." Yeah. I'm going to, and so purposely things that teach through just the yes, yes. The word. Actions speak louder than words, right? And, and um, even in the act of communication, body language preaches more than the words you use. Tone preaches more than the words you use. Like, I can give you a script and you can stand up here and read it. That's not the same as seeing a Shakespeare play or seeing a, a good play and seeing the actors bring it to life and their body says something more. Oftentimes, I don't remember the dialogue, but I can tell you what happened because I just, it's, it's all-inclusive. 
And say what we will about our more denominationally organized friends in our Christian faith, right? So like the, like the mainline congregations I think of, you know, like Methodism and Lutheranism and, and Episcopalians and, and our Catholic friends, our Orthodox friends, they have a very embodied theology, right? Like there's, there's this ritual aspect, but it really draws their bodies into the act. And so there's this whole back and forth and there's this whole involvement and I'm jealous of that at times. I think we bring something to the table, and that should never be diminished. But they bring something to the table, too, that I always really, I found beautiful, um, that embodiedness. Because, like, for example, just the act of space. Like, I think of back in the day, like, Churches of Christ took pride in having a really dumpy building. Because they're like, it's the people, not the building. And I'm like, okay, I get the point, but, like, I don't want to worship in an ugly place, right? Like, I don't want to worship in a barn out back where it smells and I'm dying of black mold poisoning. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? But, like, whenever you work, walk into, like, a sanctuary, like, those great cathedrals of Europe, you're like, oh, my word. Like, my, I just worshiped and I didn't say a word just by walking in there, just from that feeling I got as I walked in. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like that kind of stuff. Like, you're, you're in the presence of beauty and something transcendent. You're like, oh, my word, I got to get to the ground. Um, it's that sign act. It's, it's, the things, um, the things signify more than themselves, right? And I think we often lose that in our non-denominational world. Um, Abraham, when he, took Isaac to sacrifice them, I don't think it, that didn't make any sense. You know, the, sure. these thousands of people are supposed sure. to come from Abraham, and here's his son, and he's going to kill him. Um, so none of that made sense. But yes. the act is like a poor foreshadowing of yes. what God was willing to do. Yes. Well, there's some definite significance in it. Yeah. If there wasn't significance in the ceremonial part of it there, certainly, God would not have made Aaron and Moses make these garments for Aaron. Sure. And the Levites that were. Yeah. It's not just like... Yeah, it's not like, um, uh, put a little ruby in there, uh, 12 of them. I don't know, that sounds like a good number. Um, and, and go ahead, it's not arbitrary. We tend to assume it's arbitrary. It's anything but arbitrary. It's deeply symbolic. Yes, absolutely. Oren, what were you going to say? Uh, you know, we have a west window in our kitchen. And in the evening, we can look out and see the sunset. Mm. And a lot of times, it's so beautiful, you just kind of want to stand there. Yes. Only God can do this. Yes. It's so fantastic. And that's purposeful design in your apartment building, that the window faces in such a way that, that you receive that, right? We're, we're not as good at posturing and embodied theology in the non-denom world, right? Like, we're better at spontaneity. We're great at spontaneity. And some of our more liturgical friends need to capture some more spontaneity. <laughs> it's a little rigid at times. But also sometimes we're bad about like posturing and, um, you know, like, like we talk a lot about like, well, you're just going through the motions. And I'm like, well, frankly, there's just Sundays when that's all I've got to do. But by doing that, I'm just like, well, God, here's what I've got. I, I hope you show up. It's a humble invitation and a hope. And so to me, that's not just going through the motions. It's going through the motions and hopeful expectation. I think we've, there's, it's bad to just go through the motions, but it's not bad to go through the motions. If that makes sense. What do you mean? Posturing in what way? Sure. So, like, there's a lot of standing, kneeling, 
and, and sitting and, and all this back and forth like in, a, like in a Catholic service, right? Like they kneel. I remember my mom talking about whenever she, so she grew up Catholic and then she goes to Church of Christ with my dad and she was like, well, why don't we kneel? My dad's like, well, well we, just, we just don't kneel. And she's like, well, they kneel in the Bible. And he's like, well, it's different. We speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible is silent. She's like, well, they, well they, but they kneel in the Bible. And she's like, no, just stop asking that question. That's not allowed. But she was like, like she, she hungered for that, even though she never really like embraced her Catholic faith super deep or anything. She did miss that part because she was like, well, like, it feels natural to do that. And they have like that, the kneeling, or I'm even thinking of, um, okay, so this would move beyond Christian faith, just talking about religion in general. But I've always thought it was kind of beautiful um, in the Muslim world. Whenever they pray, they have this little act, and I'm probably going to do it wrong, so I'm glad nobody in here is Muslim. But uh, they have this thing where they like, like they start with their hands like this, and then they kind of cup their hands around their ears to say, I'm listening. And I've always thought that's beautiful. And privately, I would never want to offend somebody, but privately, I've kind of tried that before. Like, yeah, I'm listening. I'm ready. Anything to get the body involved, right? And uh, we're going to talk about this in January in Leviticus. But uh, in Leviticus, Steve, but uh, Leviticus, uh, that's what Leviticus is doing. It's an embodied theology. It's saying, hey, there's a sacred drama going on. Let's get our bodies involved in it. Let's do something more than just watching. Like, let's bring the sacrifice and participate with the priest. Yeah. And all those things can be a great thing. And anything can be a great thing. But we as humans tend to take yeah. things too far. Or, of course. So, like, when they would build a cathedral in one city and the next town would build it a foot higher. Yeah. Or, you know, just, <laughs> what are they using to pay for that? That's yeah, what I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that. And, and um, the idea of worshiping the cross or the crucifix. Yeah. You know, as, as an idol. You know, sure. We, we took, you know, sure. No, I get it. That, you know, and so uh, even no matter which way you go, yeah. human nature will pervert yeah. it to be... One extreme bad, or the other, you know, yeah. Whether it's poverty or whether it's... Which is why I always say reaction to overreaction is an overreaction. So if you have one extreme and you react to that extreme, you're now extreme on the opposite. <coughs> so instead you should just look for the truth, the reality. Don't throw the baby just, out with the Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well said. Like the truth, but the scripture says worship the truth and in the spirit. Yes. And in spirit. That that wind will flow wherever it goes, the spirit. Nobody knows where it comes from or where it's going. I heard somebody say one time, um, the Holy Spirit's like that one uncle at the family reunion. You don't know what's gonna happen when he shows up, but you know it's gonna be fun and the cops are gonna show up. <laughs> Uh, let's end in prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll be ready to get started. Oh, I realized I went way over. I'm sorry. I didn't even realize. Uh, Father, we thank you for Bible class. We love you. Be with us as we get ready for worship. In Jesus' name, amen. I got excited. <laughs>